right. Scripture lesson today. Remember that um, the scripture lessons for all this time past Easter have been from Acts, from um, 1 Corinthians, and from uh, the Gospel. And the same is true for today. Um, But I hope that you'll go back, and we're only reading one here, but I hope you'll go back and pay attention to the others because they're all very important parts of what we have to say today. Today on Pentecost Sunday, of course, as is always true, the text comes from Acts, the second chapter, starting at the first verse. And it goes like this. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like a rush of violent wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at the sound of the and at this the sound of the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in their native language of each. Amazed and astonished they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Ammonites, all the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and all the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, In our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others sneered and said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let it be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to 
to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. So as you know, I've talked about it some, but there is this phenomenon in American sociology of religion that talks about a group of people called the nuns, the N-O-N-E-S. These are people, a group of people who for now for several generations have not been raised in the church. They don't know the church's lingo. They don't know the church's stories. They don't know the church. An example of this is one time I was sitting in my other church and one of the women there was sitting in a group of people and she asked a question out loud as the pastor was preaching about what he was talking about. And somebody in front of her turned around and said, well, just read your Bible. And she came to me, was very frustrated by that because she said, people don't seem to understand when they say things to me like, just read your Bible, that I don't know the stories. They assume when they say that, that I would know to look, where to look, or what the story was about. She said to me, you know, they were talking about Jonah the other day. I didn't realize it was about a fish. If you've never grown up and heard the stories, you don't know there's a fish in that story. And by the way, the fish isn't the point of the story anyway. Now, if I were to say to you, Christianity's two big holidays are, you would say, Christmas and Easter. Correct. Thank you very much. Note that you would not say that today was one of Christianity's great holidays. Pentecost. Christmas and Easter, you're correct, are the main holidays of Christianity because they demonstrate for us the whole point of Christianity, that God was born as man here on earth to redeem the world and then died and rose and ascended to save us from our sins. But Pentecost... Pentecost is a great day in the life of the church. It's important. It's vital to who we are and what we do. And yet, particularly in the Protestant church, we almost never mention it. We very seldom have much celebration around it. And it's the only day that we have to have Jay and Chaz get the red out of the closet and put it up here. (laughs) Here's what Pentecost is. The 50th day from Easter. In the Christian church. Now, Pentecost existed first as a Jewish celebration. It was kind of like Thanksgiving for them. And so it was 50 days from Passover. This year, that makes it roughly around the same time. They're having their equivalent of Pentecost now, as we have 
ours. But Pentecost was the time when the beginning of the church's mission in the world took off. The descent of the Holy Spirit came to the disciples. People were filled with that spirit and spoke in many different languages. And as I said, the mission of the church began to take off. Very important in the life of the church. Right? I mentioned the red. In the liturgical calendar, the church, churches like ours that have a liturgy, pay attention to the colors of the church and those kinds of things. We have red. And red always represents the Holy Spirit come. So the other time you'll see red is at ordinations. But you know, this day Pentecost was sometimes called Wit Sunday, W-I-T, Sunday. Actually should be pronounced White Sunday. When the church dressed in white on this day, does anybody remember or has anybody come from a tradition where that happened? You wear white on Pentecost because it's the day of the influx of the Holy Spirit. And when you're, in, when you're in, in, imbibed with the Holy Spirit, you do crazy things like you're confirmed and join the church or you get baptized. And when people got baptized, they wore white robes. And so it became known as White Sunday. But there's also a tradition, and I find this fascinating. In Slavic churches, there's a tradition to wear green on this day. I had a professor once in college. He was a religion professor. He was the goofiest guy I ever knew. People thought he was a freaking genius, and maybe he was, and maybe that's why we didn't get along. But he always graded in green. Because green is the color and the symbol of life. And so he wanted to be life-affirming when he graded. In the Slavic tradition, they wear green because... It's a symbol of life. And when the Spirit entered what would become known as the church at Pentecost, it was given life. The, the community of faith sprung to life. It was born, if you will, which is why sometimes we say Pentecost is the birthday of the church. The disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. Two things happened. The presence of the Spirit was in the community of faith. And I think some of us, particularly in Protestant tradition, thinks that means that it was happened once only. Just at Pentecost did the Spirit come into the life of the church. That's not what it was. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit is present 
in the church in an ongoing way. The Pentecost of Acts 2 was just the first time, not the only time. Not just then, but now. So let me address then those of you who are squirming in your seats right now, because I can see you. Remember, I've said this to you before. You're not invisible. I can see what you're thinking. Why do we squirm when we talk about the Holy Spirit in the church? Why are Protestants particularly so afraid of the Holy Spirit? Go here. I have two theories. One is that if you truly receive the Holy Spirit, it can't help but change you. If you receive the Holy Spirit, you cannot sit in this pew and not get involved in helping the poor. You cannot sit in this pew and not give assent to this church. You cannot sit in this pew and not be involved in discipleship. You cannot sit in this pew and not pray and read your Bible. You cannot do those things if you are infused with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit simply will not let you. And I think one of the reasons we don't want to talk about the Holy Spirit is because... If it changes us, change is scary. But change is for the good in this instance. It will change who you are, how you operate, how you feel, how you receive the world, how you look at things. Your whole demeanor, mannerism, everything you know will change. And the other thing, I think sometimes Protestants don't want to talk about the Spirit is because, you know, the first person of the Trinity we call God the Father. We know what a father is. And even those of us who didn't have great fathers know what fathers that are good are supposed to look like. And Jesus the man, we know what he looked like. But we don't know what a Spirit looks like. You know, probably when many of you were growing up, you heard the Holy Spirit referred to as the Holy Ghost. That was even scarier. What's a ghost look like? Something floating around, scaring us not out of people. The Holy Spirit's a little bit like that. The wind blows where it is. You can't see wind blow. It's not tame. You stare in the face of a lion, it's scary. Vanessa looked right in Esther's face this morning and licked her right on the nose. Not scary. That's a tame animal. But the Holy Spirit is not a tame animal. The wind blows where it will. We have no control over it, which is frightening. But here's the thing. Always, always, always in this book, 
The Spirit is the giver of life. In Genesis, God makes a mud man. Later from the mud man comes Adam and Eve. But before that happens, that mud creature has to have the breath of life breathed into it from the power of God. When Ezekiel looks out over the war-torn field and sees nothing but dry bones laying there, it is not until the Spirit comes and blows the breath of life into those bones that they form a mighty army. And today... The community of faith, the body of Christ, the people of God, the church did not have life until the Spirit blew in at Pentecost. See, all those things that I mentioned before the giving, the praying, the reading, the caring. Those are life-affirming. It's not merely about a transaction that you and I have. It's about a transformation that happens in the relationships that we have and in the ways that we live in the world. When the Spirit enters, we see everything differently because everything must be life-affirming as the Spirit gives life. And so one of the things that this text tells us is life-affirming is that the church is able to speak in different tongues and yet still remain unified and yet still understand the Word of God and yet still adapt what Peter is saying to them as, of, as, uh, about the importance of Jesus Christ <laughs> as one people. Life in the Spirit gives us a spirit of tolerance and welcome and embrace. Unites the community because that's life affirming for all of us, for the whole bulk of us. The Spirit of God gives us life. We as individuals merely need receive that spirit to find a new way to live. Join me now as we pray. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Breathe on us, breath of God, and give us new life in you that we might find the life-affirming power of you, O God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.